Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, I am really excited to bring you a conversation with Dr. Blackman, who has just so much experience in the world of gaming and beyond. In this episode, I'm going to point you to so many different ways that you can learn from the work that she's doing. So um, you might even want to just pause the episode, head over to the show notes and get some of those links ready, because as soon as we dig into the conversation, I know you are going to be curious and inspired by today's guest. And before we dig into that conversation, we have a little bit of news to share Carney Sandoz Women's Institute is a professional and personal development event for women and their allies in the education community. It's held virtually November 1st through November 4th. The Institute connects attendees to thought leaders and experts for four days of engaging content curated specifically for women in education. Featuring 15 live sessions, keynote speaker, Kate Chats, on-demand videos, networking, community roundtables, and more, the Institute is designed to help you refocus and recenter while growing in your professional journey. The Institute follows an inclusive definition of women and welcomes anyone who identifies as a woman or otherwise in a way that is significant to them. You can visit carnysando.com forward slash institute for details. You'll also find that link as well as ways to connect with the Institute in the show notes. Now on with today's show, please welcome our guest. So my name is uh, Smith Blackman and I am an associate professor at Purdue University um, where I do a lot of work um, with games and game studies um and uh, it always people are always uh really shocked by the fact that i'm housed in an english department um because my area is specifically rhetoric um and i have studied rhetoric and digital rhetoric probably um since well into my graduate school career um and so it's been fun trying to figure out how to make all things rhetoric that I studied um, in graduate school, um, digital rhetoric and minority rhetorics come together um, in a way that I find both uh, rewarding um, and necessary. So game studies became that thing. Well, I'll talk about more of that later if people, if you're interested, but um, I also, I, I do a lot of interesting work as a part of my research. Um, I am the uh, co-founder of Not Your Mama's Gamer, um, which is a podcast, started out as a podcast and a blog, um, and in recent years has um, also kind of expanded itself to a middle state journal um, a, of a feminist, uh, a feminist study of games journal, uh, kind of more specifically. Um, and it's a journal that, makes a, a an attempt to i don't like to to kind of toot my own horn and say it does this great thing what the reason that i started this is that i wanted to bring together all kinds of voices um in the games community game scholars game developers game journalists gamers everybody right to get a full picture um, of games and game studies. Cause I think that in order to get that full picture, we need all of these people. Um, so I do those things. Um, and I'm also a content creator because, um, I'm really interested in the, the work that content creators do in the game space, both that, both as kind of community wow. build, builders and as, um, as, a part of the, uh, I don't want to say development process, but in many ways, yes. Um, so I'm really interested in that. And I'm really interested in like creating content around games that's not wholly academic and bringing kind of my take um, on games to a non-academic um, audience because I am first and foremost a gamer. Um, I've been playing games since I was seven years old. So, um, and that's a long time. Uh, so yeah, I do a little bit of everything. That's why I am. 
I was really long and I apologize. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, you do so many different things. And as you were you were mentioning, you you do this remarkable job of balancing the academic perspective and then the casual perspective. And we'll talk more about your podcast in a little bit. But, you know, even within your podcast, how, again, you've got so many different folks from so many different perspectives coming on. But you also have that casual conversation about, like, what are you watching? What are you drinking? Which is <laughs> which is really great, too. I love that. Um, and talking about the content that you create, you're, at least to my knowledge of Twitch, you're prolific in that space. Um, and I know that Twitch is not necessarily a space that my audience will necessarily understand or you know sometimes it's a space that when i hear folks describe it um i think it gets underestimated a little bit and mm -hmm. i'm wondering if we can start off with the work that you're doing with twitch and if you might speak to how that can be a platform where we can also be thinking about ways to foster inclusivity or um you know as you were you were mentioning just maybe look at the world of gaming from a different angle mm-hmm so I've been doing content creation for a really long time. I tell people this weird story about how I was a content creator before streaming platforms ever existed. Um, I was in graduate school and I was um, on, I was on fellowship my last couple of years while I was um, finishing up like exams and uh, writing my dissertation. Um, but I was also working from home most of the time because, uh, like I said, I was on fellowship, so I wasn't teaching. Um, and I said to myself, I said, well, <laughs> if I, I, I need to feel some kind of accountability. Um, so I was like, I need for people to be able to see me working. Um, so because I was a bit of a, a bit of a nerd, um, I created a site for myself, a website for myself, um, that was all about my dissertation research. Um, and it also had, uh, I also like wrote code for it so that, um, I could, uh, stream images from a webcam that would refresh. I can't even remember how often I had it refresh now because that was over 20 years ago, but it would refresh every couple of seconds so that people could actually see into my office at home. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of the beginning of my streaming career. I know that's very strange. Um, and then um, several years later, when I started to do um uh, charitable fundraising um, that involved games, right? So it was like, we're going to stream for 24 hours if we can raise money for this charitable cause. Um, and I started to do it with graduate students here um, at Purdue. Um, and like I said, Twitch wasn't a thing yet. Um, Twitch wasn't a thing yet. Uh, Justin TV wasn't a thing yet. So we set up um, a camera pointed at we set up cameras pointed at TVs where we were sitting and playing games um, and used um, used existing kind of uh, existing kind of webcam software that um, was on was online at the time. And we used that to stream so that people could people who donated could come in over the 24 hour period and check to see like what we were doing, what we were playing. Um, and the university, I, I they must have thought that they had hired the biggest weirdo on the face of the planet because I needed this space. And like I said, I had graduate students who were interested in games and we were talking about games. Um, and we were, you know, doing academic work around games, but we also wanted to do some good in this space. So I got groups of grad students um, to like join me for these for these charity marathons. Um, and then I went to my department head and I was like, I would like <laughs> to have permission <laughs> to kind of take over the grad lounge for 24 hours this weekend and just know that I'm going to have grad students in the building overnight on the weekend. <laughs> um, which was amazing uh, because kind of word got around. So between people who worked in my department um, and um, friends of mine who lived in town who wanted to support um, 
they would come by um, the English department building uh, over the course of 24 hours. They would drop off food and they would drop off drinks and they would have pizzas delivered because I had all these hungry grad students in there um, who were trying to do some good. So, yeah, it, it's pretty weird that that is kind of how streaming unfolded for me and my own. Um, I. Also, we did some streaming um, as a part of Not Your Mama's Gamer, right? So having different um, folks who uh, wrote for uh, and were part of the podcast, like stream to do kind of critical Let's Plays to talk about their research in the games that they were playing. Um, and that just kind of happened um, over the, just kept continuing to happen over the years as our like our charitable initiatives kind of evolved because the charitable initiative uh, uh, became a part of Not Your Mama's Gamer after Not Your Mama's Gamer um, became a thing. And that's been, it'll be 11 years in January, right? So uh, we would have graduate students who would take shifts because I was like, I'm getting far too old to be staying up 24 hours. Um, and I my and I had my daughter, uh, my daughter was, was around after a point and my mom uh, would actually come um, into town for the charity marathons so that she could stay with my daughter um, while I was off streaming for 24 hours like an 18-year-old on campus. So, yeah. Um, and so I've always wanted to make sure that folks understood that people were doing academic work that surrounded games and that we were doing this work as gamers, right? And that we were a part of the community that we were studying and not just these folks who were coming in um, and uh, like taking advantage of the knowledge that they had to offer without offering anything back. Yeah, I, I, I've heard this term, me-search, and you know your your point about doing the research within the community that you're a part of. Absolutely. What, you know, I, what I love about the podcast is you will have folks also reference the games that they're playing, the research that they're doing around that. And I think for, you know, as myself as, you know, not well-versed in the world of gaming, it's so insightful. Um, and, you know, congratulations. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think your podcast now has 233 episodes, which is remarkable. <laughs> um, you know, I, I came across the stat that most podcasts don't make it past five episodes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, again, in the show notes, I'm going to have links to that podcast. And I wanted to just touch base about a specific episode. Again, the, the show's great. You know, it, it really is just what an, what an extraordinary accomplishment just that one thing that you are doing is. Um, but if I could point listeners to episode 186, you've got this conversation about how video games might use people's lives inside them. Um, it's a necessary conversation, touches on misogyny, exoticism, lots of other things. I'm wondering if you might talk a little bit about how the world of gaming is a really useful tool for thinking about identity um, and you know the way that some identities are affirmed and others are tokenized. Absolutely. I mean, and this is interesting because um, I am... Uh collaborating on a project a, a a large kind of multi-year research project um that has a number of different components um with a friend and colleague um uh, right now that kind of gets exactly at that and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about it in detail because she'll murder me <laughs> and um and because 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 she's she's and she's right we're not ready to to talk about it in the ways that we want to talk about it yet um but it's it's super exciting work and that's one of the things that that we're thinking about right is um how identity and representation um come together um in and around games right so and thinking about how important it is and this is not just the project but this is in general because this is something that i kind of feel in my heart of hearts that how important it is for um for gamers to see themselves or people period and i and i because i don't want to say gamers because a lot of people who play games don't consider themselves gamers but marginalized folks to see themselves act uh, adequately and accurately represented in games um, 
and to be a part of that process, right? To be a part of that process at multiple steps, right? Not just to be the subject of the game, but also to be a part of the development process, to also be a part of the process uh, of of studying games, of writing about games, of reviewing games, and also, of course, of playing these games, right? Uh, and I think that in order to have adequate and accurate representation, we have to have folks at all of those steps, right? Um, because oftentimes we find that one of the big things that happens is you have folks who don't know a community try to portray that community um and sometimes with with good intentions but sometimes not with good intentions um and the easiest way and i will say lazy way of going about that is to fall back on stereotypes right um and and I, and i think it's super important that we have representation and presence at all of those different stages, because if we don't, then what happens is um, it, things kind of fall, things kind of fall out. I'll put it that way. Um, and I'll, I'll give an example uh, because there was a game recently announced by Square Enix that I was super excited for. Um, I am a huge uh, RPG fan. Um, I love big games, open worlds, big stories, right? Epic narratives. Um, and the game was announced, it's called Forspoken. And it had a, it was a fantasy game with a black protagonist, a black female protagonist. Um, and when the game was first announced, I was super excited. I was like, I'm gonna buy this game. I'm gonna buy the collector's edition. If they make a statue, I'm gonna need that too. So I'm just planning out three, 400 bucks for this game It's gonna be great, right? Um, and so they announced it. Didn't hear anything else from it for a couple of months. And then they did like they started to do that first, those first news cycles. Um, and they had the um they had one of the the designers um who was the design the character designer, uh, quite specifically, um, talk about the fact that yes, they they had uh they had a black voice actress, um, and she was also doing the motion capture, and that this and I was like, good, great, uh, having like good representation and voice acting and mocap is also a really important part of this process, and then he started to talk about how this character was unfolding, and the first thing that kind of came out of his mouth was yeah she had to have a hip hop kind of walk. And I went, what did he just say? <laughs> and it was clear to me in that moment and what came, what came in the moments that came after that he was creating this character based on a lot of really horrible racist stereotypes. And I was with a friend and I looked at her and I went, this game's dead to me. Um, because there's no way that you can kind of recover from that when that is the very kind of essence of the character that you have created, right? So there needed to be folks in the room, right? During that development process that was that would say, I don't know what you just said or why you're thinking about this, but we need to we need to backpedal and think about some real and accurate representation. Um, so it's important. It's important because there's no way that we can get a a good representation of a black female protagonist, even in a fantasy world if it's coming from a place of racism. And I think, you know, the cultural power that games have in young folks' life, you know, when I think about even like dating myself, Commodore 64, and when I talk to people around my age about certain games and how memorable those games are and just how many millions of people might play a given game. Um, yeah. You know, you're reminding me, one of my new favorite podcasts is Into It with Sam Sanders. Um, and there was a recent episode, he has Tressie McMillan Cotton on to talk about Yellowstone. And she, I'm summarizing here, she says this idea that look like not every piece of popular culture 
warrants a big critical analysis. We don't have to do this with all of them, um, mm -hmm. but it is really good practice for us to be thinking about the ones that uh, have a big audience or, you know, just as kind of a an audit of our media diet to be checking in and thinking about, as you say, like who's at the table of creating it? Mm -hmm. What's motivating their efforts? Who's not even a part of the conversation? Um, you know, and, and you brought up stereotypes earlier, which stereotypes might be perpetuated or which are being disrupted by this piece of media. So um, again, listeners, Not Your Mama's Gamer is a great show. I just, I really appreciate too how you almost make the research process transparent in asking your guests, you know, like, it, and, and they even reference Reddit, right? Um, and I think just thinking about that space and the different conversations that are having around games is, is really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Aside from the podcast, you also have, you do so much, um, <laughs> you, you also have your YouTube channel and you have a video there that points us to some of the games that you've loved the most. I think that that list might be two or three years old. So I'm going to ask a question. Forgive me. You maybe are, are dreading this question. Um, <laughs> because you play so many games i'm wondering if you might just point us to a few that are personal favorites for you and how they have won over that status in your life absolutely i'm gonna cheat okay do it, do it. Uh, because we've spent the last uh two and a half years um in a pandemic um so i'm gonna cheat and talk about my top three favorite pandemic games all right um, and they're going to be different probably from, well, most of them from what would have been my regular kind of on my regular favorite list and for different reasons. So, um, if I have to talk, and this is not in any particular order, um, top three favorite pandemic games and why, um, the first is going to be, um, an MMORPG, um, and I stopped playing MMOs um, once my daughter was, well, I stopped playing hardcore once my daughter was born um, back in 2008 uh, because I couldn't commit that kind of time. And people don't, you know, when you're used to raiding for, you know, four, six, eight hours or whatever, or well into the night, um, you, people don't understand when you're like, I'll be right back. I got to go feed the baby. Um, <laughs> that doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. So I, I stopped playing hardcore, stopped rating when she was born. Um, but I started playing um, an MMO. I started playing Final Fantasy XIV. Um, I've always been a huge fan of like Final Fantasy lore. Um, and I always make the joke that Final Fantasy VII gave me my first repetitive stress injury. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I love Final Fantasy and um, it was actually like once the pandemic started it was someone in my streaming community was like you would really love this game um, so I started playing Final Fantasy 14 again apparently but that's a whole nother story Final Fantasy 14 um, and it became my pandemic game. It was a game that helped me build community. It was a game that I could really be invested in. Um, it was a game that um, it's not like other MMOs in that it you don't just play through to to do in-game, which is usually to raid. But there are so many different things that you can do within the game. Like you can focus on crafting or you can fo focus on gathering or you can um, focus on you can focus on in-game stuff. Um, but there are also lots of like mounts and minions. If you play War World of Warcraft, they get called pets that you can collect in the game. So you can make it kind of more of a collection game. Um, and then there are folks who just role play, right? Um, so there are all kinds of things that you can do based on what your own interests are all within one game. Um, so that would definitely be um, one of my kind of top three pandemic games. Um, and and as I like started to play this game, more and more folks in my um, in my Twitch community started to play um, and it became kind of a community game. So that was that was huge because it gave us all a space to share and to kind of be in community with one another when we couldn't be in community with one another uh, in, in a physical space. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one. The second one would be, and my daughter would be livid to hear this, uh, <laughs> would be Animal Crossing. The, the newest Animal Crossing that came out right after the pandemic, right after lockdown started, <clears throat> as a matter of fact. And I said she'd be livid to hear it because um, she and I both realized that this is not the best Animal Crossing game. In fact, if I had to say of all the Animal Crossing games I played, it was actually the worst because it was there was less content in that game at launch um, than any other than any other Animal Crossing game. Um, but it was the game that just kind of blew up because it was a it was a cozier game. There was no violence and people could um like make friends with the with the animals on their island and build gardens and decorate their islands all the way they wanted to. Um, but for me, Animal Crossing was something that my daughter and I played nonstop. Um, <laughs> when the, when the pandemic, like when it first launched, um, and my, we bought a copy for, cause it had launched in March. Um, and we bought a copy for my mom for her birthday and sent it to her. Um, and so my mom started to play. Um, so during the pandemic birthdays, holiday, like birthdays, holidays, um, so there was always like there was Christmas and there was the 4th of July. There were all of these things when we could not be together as a family because my mom lives several hundred miles away. Um, uh, we couldn't be together as a family in person. We did a lot of those things in Animal Crossing. We had our birthday celebrations and our Christmas kind of un party unwrappings and all of these things in Animal Crossing. Um, and so that was huge, um, to be able to kind of hold space for one another, um, in Animal Crossing, uh, because it was, it was like, I'm not going to get my mom to play Final Fantasy 14. It's just not going to happen. She's <laughs> not going to play that game, but she'll, my mom still religiously plays Animal Crossing. She literally logs in every day to do her Animal Crossing chores still. <laughs> So that would definitely be my um my second. And it's it's odd because all of these seem to revolve around community, but of course it makes sense because we've been in a pandemic for two and a half years and we've been robbed of that kind of real community. And I would say that my third one, um, more than being a specific game, is gonna be a, a genre of games. Um, and I'm gonna say Believe it or not, because people, people, most people like are familiar with me playing RPGs and um, like more cozy games and games that like have big stories and um, give us like space to interrogate. But they don't. But and these games often don't get associated with those kinds of things. Um, the 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 last is going to be shooters. Um, and specifically, mostly first-person shooters, but also some third-person shooters. And the two that I'm going to name are, I'm going to put them in that same category and really cheat again, um, are going to be, uh, I'm going to name three. I'm going to say Halo, Call of Duty, and The Division 2. Um, <clears throat> those are games that I have put hundreds of hours apiece in. Um, and, and I named those because those are the games that I play with my friends. Right. Um, I have a, a kind of a core group of of uh, female gamer friends who we and we all kind of grew up. We're all in the same. Most of us. Yes. Are all in that 40s, 50s age range. Um, so we grew up um, in games playing a lot of first person shooters. Um, and it's something that we haven't we haven't stopped doing, right? Um, I know most people associate shooters with, you know, 18 year old boys or whatever. No, a lot of, you know, if you're getting owned in first person shooters, sometimes there may be a 50 something year old woman behind that gun. Um, so <laughs> um, that's gonna be, that's gonna be my third because that's given me again, time and space to hold space with my friends, right? So that we're, we're you know, playing first person shooters, but we may be like, talking about research or we may be talking about our families or we may be talking about 
work, or we may be talking about whatever it is we're doing and what's going on in our lives. Because oddly enough, this kind of spans friend groups for me. So like my academic friends play these games. Um, my, my like more like just straight gamer friends, uh, play these games. Some of my, I've, I've drawn in some of like my mom group friends to play, uh, these games. So yeah, I'm going to say that those are probably my top three favorite games, pandemic edition. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing that and no cheat at all. I mean, it, you know, again, it's just, I, I'm glad that you did what you did because, you know, listeners, if you check out the the Twitch feed, there really just is like this huge diversity for anybody that's not looked at video games for a long time. You know, if you are a K-12 teacher and you kind of haven't been looking at the world of video games since you were a kid, the, you know, as you pointed out, like the, the scale and scope of some narrative games is phenomenal and mind boggling. Um, and the progress that's there is is huge. And I really like that you point out that many of them can connect across generations mm -hmm. um, and, and across different, you know, sort of interests. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's really important that when we are saying someone is a gamer, that it's, you know, we're, we're being expansive with who a gamer might be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you were talking about your community folks that you play with, but yet again, as a content creator, you're sharing a lot on TikTok. And I'm wondering how your social media community, um, you know, how that is kind of another bubble of your gaming community and, and whether or not you feel like the work that you're doing with social media is a critical way for you to build or continue to reimagine um, who's a part of your community. Yeah. So I think the, the funny thing about TikTok is I think TikTok, the algorithm does not know what to do with me. <laughs> because I, you know, because I do so many different things. Um, and TikTok seems to be, tends to be very kind of niche, right? So you have very successful TikTok creators who just do one thing, right? So they're just a part of book talk. For, for example, right? So they just talk about books or they're just a part of craft talk and they just talk about crafting or they're just a part of gamer talk. And then even being a part of gamer talk, they're very kind of niche, right? So you have your Call of Duty TikTokers and you have your Animal Crossing TikTokers and you have, so it's usually kind of one game focused. And I do 5,000 different things all the time on any given day. Um, so they really don't know what to do with me. So I have, for example, I, I will occasionally do um, video game book pairings. Um, <laughs> so it's like wine, gang, wine pairings, but for video games and books, right? So if you like this book, because a lot of times people will say, I would like to get into games, but I don't know how to. Um, so I'll, uh, So I said, well, you know, what kinds of books do you like? What kind of narratives, right? So let's find something that kind of drives you. So I started doing um, video game and book pairings. Um, so that's one of the things I do on TikTok. Um, I also will like do rundowns of new games because a lot of, lot of new folks or folks who are new to games and even folks that aren't new to games don't have the same kind of in to um, announcements about new games. So I choose ones that I'm excited about and I tell people about them. Um, or if there's like something fun, but really tricky in a game, I might do like a quick tips and tricks kind of video, right? That will tell you how to do something that everybody's getting stuck, stuck on and complaining about on, on social media. Right. Um, or, just having things like clipped on Twitch when people will clip stuff on Twitch that when I say something that's uh, really funny or really interesting or I fail spectacularly um, because my community will also clip those things and then I will post those to TikTok, right? And you never kind of know what it is, especially with me because I just kind of go for it, right? Because my brain makes connections to things uh, like all on its own and I just kind of run with it. Like last week, I was playing a new game called Potion Permit um, that is about um, a uh, an alchemist um, who comes to a town um, because he's been called 
uh, or they've been called because you can cast customize your character. But in the in the like trailer, it's always a a white male character. But um, because it's this the the alchemist has been called. You as the alchemist have been called to heal um, the child of the mayor. Um, and there is kind of this quick disparaging of traditional medicine. Um, and they uh, they frame it as um, as witchcraft, right? And the uh, person who is there who has been caring for the community all along is called a witch doctor. And they're like, and the witch doctor's so mad because you're bringing your big, you know, you're bringing your big white medicine in and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like kind of this thing. So um, and so we started to talk about medicine and we started to talk about traditional medicine and we started to talk about uh, mes medical hesitancy, right? So because I have like this background and this kind of knowledge, I spent an hour <laughs> talking about why marginalized folks have uh, medical hesitancy, right? And what it means when we frame traditional medicine as witchcraft and what it means when we have someone coming in with a very specific kind of medical knowledge and seeing them as a kind of savior and what it means when literally like uh, uh, in the 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 kind of the trailer and all of the pu publicity materials um it is the big white savior that comes in to do this right so that it was kind of odd because that's like what i talked about for an hour and um <laughs> my community i was like i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that for an hour but we were having a conversation i wasn't just i'm not the person the person who just sits there and like rants for an hour but just having conversations like people asking questions and 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 like luckily this is something that in my you know 20 odd years <laughs> of being an academic that I've actually studied is like medical hesitancy in groups of marginalized folks, right? Uh, because I think that there's a real com there's a real connection between medical hesitancy and technological he hesitancy, right? Because they're both technologies. Um, and we all know what medical technologies have done to marginalized folks in this country over the last uh, over the last, you know. I was going to say several decades, but over the last several centuries, right? Yeah. A couple of centuries. So I think, you know, being able to have that conversation. And so I apologized to my community. They were like, no, no, that was really interesting. I'm glad you did that. Then we want to talk more about it. So we were kind of, I was a, kind of able to throw um, like some sources out there, some things that they might want to read, right? Things that are not necessarily um, strictly for academics, but are based in science and are more accessible um, so that, you know, folks can read more about it. Because that's another thing that I've done. Um, I actually started that when back when I was on Mixer before Mixer closed, which was another streaming platform um, that was owned by Microsoft. Um, and I was actually partnered. Uh, I was a partnered content creator over on Mixer before Mixer closed. Um, is my community one, uh, just kind of out of the blue one day because I was always talking about what books I was reading. And they were like, can we do a book group? And I was like, can we do a what? You know, we play video games here. They were like, no, no, can we do a book group? Um, so about four years ago now, we started a book group. So every two months we read a book together and then we talk about it now on Twitch. We used to do it on Mixer and we talk about the book that we've read. And I and I said, look, we're, and it, it's not a book that I choose. Um, everybody is allowed to nominate a book uh, and then we vote on it as a community. Right. So the community chooses the book. I have only ever made one stipulation is that the book has to be by um, a, a marginalized or, or underrepresented author. Um, I'm like, because yes, we could read like the latest New York Times bestseller or we could read romance books. We could do all that, but you can do that anywhere. Mm. You can't read the kind of stuff I want us to read together and talk about anywhere. So that's always been my only stipulation. Um, and it's great because every two months we get together and read a book and we've got academics We've just got avid readers. We've got folks working in the publishing industry. We've got gamers who haven't, who like before we started four years ago, hadn't read a book since they were 12. Um, so that just gave us that space. 
right? And just taking advantage of it because folks wanted to know they were interested in what I was talking about and they wanted to know more about it and they wanted to engage in those ways. So it's been a blast. I just, you know, you're you're starting so many conversations in so many different ways, which is is wonderful. And at the same time, you know, this work is personal for you. You've you've mentioned several times, you know, again, like the family connection with games. And I know that you occasionally stream gaming with your daughter. Yeah. I'm wondering if you might speak a little bit, you know, all of this is your your professional, your passion. But I'm wondering if, um, you know, we can we can wrap up the conversation with that personal element of the way that gaming brings you joy as a parent or the ways that maybe we can build those relationships across generations through gaming. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> I do. I stream um, not every Saturday. It used to be every Saturday. She's 14 now. She's getting a little older. We So, you know, it may be two Saturdays out of a month or three Saturdays out of a month now because she's like, oh, I got other things to do today. And I'm like, that's fine. That's always been our agreement. She never has to feel, she never has to feel like she has to participate. Um, but I started streaming with her. See, she's 14 now. Um, oh gosh, she must've been eight or nine when we first started streaming together and we started it as we called it kitty co-op right because i she helped me with it she helped me with the title i was like we're gonna play some games together they're gonna be cooperative games my kid she's very competitive i don't know where she gets it from <laughs> uh <laughs> whenever i say that people who know me laugh hysterically i'm like i don't know where she gets it from so i thought it would be a good thing if we started like streaming together because we play games together all the time we've played games together oh my god since she was 16 months old um i know that's a very strange um a very strange thing for people like 16 months old yes my kids started playing video games on her own when she was 16 months old i was playing a handheld game um on the uh on the DS, um, the Nintendo DS. Um, so it had a little stylus and you could do things like to walk characters across the screen with the pen and all and such. And I put it all together, closed it, didn't turn, cause you don't have to turn it off. You close it, go to sleep. And I went to the bathroom and my 16 month old was like, we had the, um, the center of the game room kind of pinned off so that we had this big like play area and the sofa was in there um, and we would play together, but I put it down and I went to the bathroom and I came back. I even took a picture of it. I took a picture of it and I still have this picture because I knew people wouldn't believe me. I came back from the bathroom and she was standing at the edge of the couch. She had the DS open, the little stylus in her hand and she was walking the character across the screen. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, she's a gamer. Um, so um, when she turned two, she got her own uh, her own DS. And Sesame Street was actually making a um, a series of like numbers, colors, letters, games um, for toddlers that came with the big chunky styluses, uh, styli, the big chunky styli, like you know, big chunky crayons that we used in, in elementary school in elementary school classrooms, right? So so she like had her own DS and she had her own like Elmo and Cookie Monster and there was another one I don't remember what the third one was stylus that she would use to play her games. Um, and people were like, "Aren't you afraid she'll break it?" I was like, "No, she loves games. She knows she knows not to break it." Um, but so that's when we started like playing games together right so it was very early um and she she played she had always had a, an hour of screen time a day when she was younger um so she would choose how she wanted to spend that hour and often it was on games um and when she was four um she loved studio she loved studio ghibli movies when she was four nino cooney wrath of the white witch came out um it was a jrpg um, that was done in collaboration with Studio Ghibli. Um, and she asked me if she could play. Um, I knew it was a JRPG. It was going to take forever, one, to play. Uh, and two, uh, it was going to be difficult. So we played together. Um, every night, I would play ahead of one hour to see what was there. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next day, we would play through that hour again. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of funny because the, the 
protagonist, the little boy named Oliver, his mother dies at the beginning of the game. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> she never knew that. I think she was probably about 12 when she found out that his mom actually died at the beginning of the game because I played through and I saw that and I was like, she's four. She can't handle this. Yeah. So I saved <laughs> like after mom died. And and then I was like, oh, so here's what happened in the interim. I left out the part about mom dying because I didn't want to be upset. So it wasn't until she, um, we played through it another time after that. But again, she was still pretty young. So I played past that part. And it wasn't until she played through it by herself when she was a tween, that she was like, wait, Oliver's mom died? And I was like, oh yeah, about that. <laughs> but I think to to think about like why I'm so passionate about this um, is, is not only because of the, the time that I get to spend with my daughter, right? Um, and I tell this story all the time and it always makes me a little flippant, right? Is that um, she often, she asked me once, she said, mom, you do so much with games and you know so much about games. Uh, she's like, and you teach games. She was like, you have a literal PhD in this stuff. And I'm like, well, not exactly in this stuff, but yeah, it's it's, it's parallel. And so I, I I ended up here after, you know, 20 years, been doing this for 20 something years at this point. She goes, why did you never make games? Why did you become a game developer? And I got a little sad because I had to think about it. And I told her, I said, because when I was your age, I didn't know I could. Mm. And so it's always been important to me that other little girls, especially other little black and brown girls, can so that they to, to make sure they can know that they can do this, right? That this exists for them. And sadly, for some, it still doesn't, right? Um, so that's like one thing that I'm passionate about, not only as a parent, but also as a teacher, right? Um, and to talk about cross-generational play. Um, my mom never played games with me when I was growing up. And I don't fault my mother for that. Absolutely. There's no way. I always make jokes when, when, I'm, when I tell that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not bitter at all. But I'm not. I am totally not. My mom you know, my mom was a medical professional before she retired. She, you know, she worked. And when I went away to college, she worked two jobs to make sure that I didn't have to pay for anything. Right. Uh, but when she saw the passion that my kiddo had for her for games, um, it was like early on. Um, they my mom was visiting and my daughter was playing a game. Actually, that one of my friends, uh, one of my friends developed called Style Savvy. Um, and it was, it was something she was like, she loved that game. And my mom was like, they were like watching her play it, like on the sofa. And she came to me and she was like, can we go to Target? And I'm like, sure. What do we need at Target? She's like, I want to get one of those DS things she has so that I can play that game too. Um, and so I have just like over the years, pictures of them sitting together on the sofa like heads together playing their ds's and playing games together and then of course the switch came out and my mom visited after p got her switch um and p's like oh yeah i'm not playing that anymore because it's on the ds and i play i play switch now and my mom was kind of you could see that she was like she was kind of a little bit sad so i was like oh crap so I went to Target again. Target takes all my money. I went to Target again and I bought my mom a Switch. And I'm like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's like, I know it's June, but Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, and that's, they've been playing Switch games together. That's my mom's only console. Um, and they've been playing Switch games together for the last, what, five years now? That's on Switch, been, Switch has been out. But they were playing DS games together for probably another two to three years before that. So my mom became a gamer in her 70s. Wow. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it didn't, it, it didn't hurt. I, you know, cause she, she uses, she, she uses it as an excuse with her friends for why she does it. She's like, oh yeah, I read this study that my daughter sent me that it helps stave off Alzheimer's. I'm like, no, no, no. You were playing style savvy because you liked being competitive by who was going to have the best store with your <laughs> granddaughter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, I love that. You know, that's, that's beautiful. And, um, 
my my local library here has video games um, and they recently have they're they're keeping the library open seven days a week which i think is great um, lots of folks rely on them for internet and i noticed actually some older folks in that section with what appeared to be their grandkid or um you know a younger person who's important in their life and um your your story just um kind of brought that image home to me and that's that's so beautiful and it's so great that your daughter and your mom will always have those memories um that that that's really really beautiful thank you for sharing that personal anecdote with us no problem i i i'm good at i'm good at telling stories i like stories i think you, they drive points home in ways that numbers don't necessarily I agree with you so much, um, you know, and, and what you were saying about the power of, of fantasy games. It reminds me of um, there's this quote that Adrienne Marie Brown has where she talks about, and I know that fantasy and, and science fiction are not the same thing. So listeners, you don't have to write in to remind me that. But um, but Adrienne Marie Brown says how important it is that we have sort of that science fiction thinking and we lean into that power of imagining um and um yeah you you kind of reminded me of how video games can be an entry point into that so thank you so much for that and um i would love to invite you back when you can talk about that research project <laughs> when your when your colleague won't murder you for mentioning it i'd love to hear more about that and um listeners i'm sure will be super excited to head over to the show notes check out all of those links and learn from you in all of the places that you're making that learning accessible. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Listeners, if you haven't yet, head over to the show notes, learn all about the ways that you can follow today's guests, that you can subscribe to their podcast, their YouTube channel, connect with them on TikTok, all the social media spaces. And if you have not yet experimented with Twitch, I can't think of a better person to point you to than Dr. Blockman. 